Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by Sean Bloomgren and Andrew Penny from Central Iowa. On our show, we discuss all things agronomy, high yield management, and give you real-time updates on what we're seeing and hearing in the field. We will also gain insight from industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Thank you for joining us. Andrew, I'm super excited about this episode. I think when I think over the last year and a half as we've recorded this show, you know, it'd be, I, I think, truly impossible to pick one specific episode or, or kind of one topic, but I think the opportunity to learn from uh, agronomists across uh, really kind of kind of North America is is super fun. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about what we're going to um, record today. Well, I guess over a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, def- definitely a couple of days. Uh, we're we're going to pick the minds of extension agronomists from universities across the Corn Belt uh, and outside the Corn Belt. I, I guess you know we're, we're going to talk to um, not only. Uh, extension agronomists, but also professors who, you know, do a lot of extension work uh, from Kentucky, Nebraska, Purdue, um, Iowa State, Illinois. So really looking forward to, you know, and, and I think you said it right. <clears throat> I, I mean, looking looking back in the growing season and learning from uh, just different environmental conditions and all the things we've done and, and, and tried, learning from that, carrying that into 2024. I mean, I think that's what at the heart of being an agronomist and learning you know, is all about. So really looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. One of the things that our listeners, some of you know, especially those of you that are lucky enough to be like real close to the, um, you know, to the area that we work in is Andrew will get, you know, like really just <laughs> locked in on one or two key points. And, and we've actually got listeners and, and customers now that will make, uh, you know, shirts kind of, kind of teasing Andrew about, you know, whatever his one or two things he latches onto. But what the thing that I enjoy is sometimes it's fundamental science, right? Just basics of agriculture. And, and that's something that we observed this year that we'll probably talk about in our key takeaways, but it's really fun to go harvest these little nuggets, right? Something maybe yeah. unique that that these guys pick up on. And so really looking forward to it. Um, uh, as, as our listeners, always appreciate you guys tuning in uh, and uh, look, look forward to uh, spending some time with these uh, great people from across a, a big region. Yeah. And, and I would say the one, the one thing I'm looking forward to, you know, last year we did this and we had uh, a number of agronomists from within the same state. And, and this year we, we, you know, with, with Iowa state, we have, we have a couple people that are going to be from the same university, but overall there's going to be, you know, agronomists and extension professors uh, from across, you know, numerous different states. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, I, I think there's going to be a lot of different viewpoints and a lot of different environmental conditions or just scenarios that they faced that we can potentially learn from whether or not we're from that state. I, th- I think that's going to be a great learning opportunity. So really, really looking forward to it. Me too. Let's get it done. Andrew, excited for you to introduce our next guest. Yeah, this is one. I mean, uh, here we got the the big uh, I states. We got Iowa and Illinois represented, and I'm happy to have uh, Megan Anderson from Iowa State represent the the great corn and soy production state of Iowa. So <laughs> Megan, appreciate you being here. Yeah, Megan, thanks for having me. Absolutely, Megan. Welcome. Um, we've obviously get to spend time with Megan because of proximity to the university. But uh, Megan, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your current role. 
Yeah, I'm an extension field agronomist for Iowa State. So I technically serve a nine county territory in central Iowa. I've got uh, uh, how many? 10 colleagues across the state that serve other county territories. Um, my background is in weed science, but also general agronomy. And I grew up on a farm here in central Iowa. So I'm about an hour from my dad's place where I work right now. Awesome. Nice. Well, let's get started. Uh, you know, this this episode is all about uh, lessons learned from 2023, anything that we noticed, good or bad, you know, key takeaways. So I'll, I'll just give you the floor, you know, what stood out to you in 2023, any lessons learned uh, in corn or soy? Yeah, I mean, lots stood out, right? It, it always seems like we've got uh, variable conditions starting out the year. Everybody's always kind of nervous to see, are we going to be too wet? Are we going to be too dry? And this was a, another year of kind of weirdness where we had that really warm spell in April and there were a number of people that, that kind of jumped the gun and got things going really early in April and then yeah. a lot of no. other people held out <laughs> a little bit later. Yeah, not <laughs> in central Iowa. <laughs> no, no, not in my area at yeah. all. That wouldn't happen. Yeah. yeah. So so it was all, you know, you're always kind of nervous to see how the crop's going to do. And, and generally speaking, I think most people got out really well from that, right? We didn't have any super hard freezes, except there was one, I think, right in early May that caught some soybeans. Yeah. And there was some replant that happened. But for the most part, uh, things worked out really well from a planting perspective, and and we had we've had drier than average conditions for what feels like years oh, yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it just it's it's been worked the out thing. that our yeah yeah that our our crop gets out of the ground and and we aren't hurt by having too many big drown out spots uh, in most of the state anyway. Um, but there are areas I think where we are you know, we're hurt every year by some of those dry conditions and I'm, I'm sort of waiting for the hammer to drop. It <laughs> yeah. seems like every growing season, I'm like, is this going to be yeah. the year when it's finally really bad? Yeah. Well, well to build, I mean, you, you bring up some good points, you know, we, I feel like a lot of uh, the corn belt experienced in the shift of, of planting soybeans before corn. Mm-hmm. And, and now that we have a weed scientist on here, I mean, we had some really dry conditions that really impacted residuals post that, that got put on the timing. So so I guess give us your, your thoughts on, you know, as we continue to have more growers plant soybeans before corn, um, you know, and, and then timing in the whole factor of when your post gets put on all that. Give, give us your thoughts on maybe some things that growers can be thinking about to maybe make those pre's and post work a little bit a little bit better yeah i mean i think if we're going to plant soybeans ahead of corn we need to be considering weed control as an important management factor in in that whole equation because when we plant soybeans earlier that doesn't necessarily mean they emerge earlier yeah and our herbicide labels are going to hamstring us in some cases with regard to when we can apply those pre's and how they get put on uh and inevitably i think if our soybeans can't get out of the ground early, we are going to end up with more weed issues later in the growing season as a result of this. Um, So if we're going to plant early, we need to make sure that um, we're planting into conditions that are going to be good enough for soybeans to grow. So I'm, I'm always a little hesitant for like those really, really early soybean planting dates, because I think we're so used to still getting that corn herbicide on first and then, yeah, we're going to come back and we'll get the soybean herbicide and, and it'll all be okay. And we get into these positions where either like weather conditions are really good and the soybeans could jump out of the ground uh, or be close to coming out of the ground before we get our pre even on or we get that pre on so early and the soybeans sit in the ground for 
20 days before we see much from them. Mm -hmm. And then we got to get out there with our post and, and we just don't have that many options that are really effective. And so I think that that herbicide management really is an important uh, point that we need to take into account when we're thinking about how we're planting these crops. But you know, I'm all about if we can get good early vigorous growth and get those soybeans canopied earlier, I think there's just like there's a balance that that everybody needs to find. And it's all dependent on the growing season. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, that, that's tricky. I mean, I, I, wish, I feel like we could have a whole episode on that because, I mean, we talk about the risk of planting corn early, right? We, I, I feel like there's less risk with planting soybeans early. You got to worry about frost, right? But then yeah, you start looking absolutely. at if, if we get our pre's on before our soybeans, like we're so much so used to, you, you figure you're planting, say, potentially soybeans April 10th or 15th. How many weed seeds are germinating when the soil temps? I mean, typically you look at the end of April, beginning of May. And so now you're wanting 30 days residual. If you get your residual on your soybean pre, say, April 5th or 10th, if, if conditions are warm, you know, you're, want, you're asking 30 to 60 days in some cases for that residual to work. And yeah, it, it's risky. It, it's it's a hard, it's it's just hard to, I guess, comprehend and, and think about all the risks associated with, do we plant corn first? Do we plant soybean first? If we do soybeans and you got to worry about pre's, it, yeah. it's, it's tricky. Yeah, we, it's, yeah. it's interesting because I remember the first year that we promoted the idea of early planting soybeans and, you know, got a lot of buy-in from customers. And so we had about a third of our business, you know, traditionally everyone planted corn and yeah. then it magically would rain for a week and we could switch over to soybeans and life was amazing. And then all of a sudden we had a third of our business showing up for soybeans at a time that we had never built a workflow for supporting both sides of the production system. And that's just at our business, let alone people trying to run multiple sprayers or switch back and forth. Yeah. And I mean, it's, yeah. it's complicated for sure, but definitely, um, definitely, uh, we're thinking through uh, pros and cons. And I think to me, the big question is if we're going to plant April 10th, should we even be using a pre then? And I yeah. think Megan, this might've been where you were going is do we use our pre then? Do we try and build a workflow where we can come back and put, you know, early post and add a residual then, you know, thinking through that and you're right, yeah. it probably would be a whole. Yeah. Whole and, then, and then again, there. then you're limited with your posts. I mean, the right. second you start getting into yeah. foliar spray, you're extremely limited on right. I mean, your PPOs alone. Right. So it, it's tricky. Yeah. Let's, yeah, we should. Do, we can do a whole episode on this sometime. <laughs> we'll come. We'll come we'll find to. you next week and uh, <laughs> steal you for an hour. But uh, so, so I guess pick up where you left off. Um, so you know, dry throughout the year. Kind of worried. You know, always kind of questioning conditions. Um, what What else did you learn this year? Yeah, I think with those um, dry conditions uh, and some of the maybe variability in our our. Uh, herbicide applications, right? I feel like we did definitely see some weed issues, but I thought they were substantially worse in corn this year mm -hmm. than they were in soybean. Um, something else that I thought was interesting is we, I spent a lot of time worried about tar spot, right? A mm -hmm. ton of time oh, worried yeah. about tar spot, um, especially in like the Boone County, Western Story County, Northern Dallas County area was kind of a hot spot for rainfall in the latter part of the growing season compared with a lot of other areas. And tar spot certainly was there, but it was not that bad. And, and it came in early, but it just didn't develop all that quickly. However, it did in some other little pockets, right? That yeah. were not areas that I necessarily would have expected yeah. it to be. Like Western Iowa, I feel like was worse than Central Iowa you're gonna, earlier. You're going to give strange. me anxiety, Megan, because I feel like, I feel like we did our due diligence 
we had our toolkit ready, you know, we were ready to deploy and it just, it just, it's, it's hard to react to. It's hard to know when to react. It's, it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't follow necessarily the logic and the science that we have understood right now. So I think we have a lot, a lot to learn. I, it was painted by, I think Allison Robertson identified tar spot. Was it like June 16th? Something like that. It was crazy early. It was extremely early and it wasn't Allison that identified it. It was a, a over vigorous crop scout. We'll call it. We'll <laughs> Wonderful. Call it that. That's a nice one. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> a, a very excitable crop scout in, I think, what, Marshall and Jasper yeah, County area. Jasper. Yeah. But, but we weren't that far behind. I think we found it at the a field extension education lab on like June 27th or okay. 26th or something. Mm -hmm. um, but we watched it all growing season and it just didn't move very fast. Right. Didn't, didn't move up the plant all that quickly. Didn't spread all that much, but in other areas it did. Right. Like, yeah. it, I mean, it got, it got quite bad. We I mean, really bad in like parts of Madison County, parts oh, yeah. of Jasper County, and then out west. I know that I heard from other people that it was worse out there as well. Yeah, that's that's what I saw. That's my territory in, in western Iowa was was somehow. It felt like there was a bubble in central Iowa. Western got worse than we did, and we finally caught up towards the tail end. Yeah. So I won't yeah. I won't hold you to this, and I won't like blast it all over. Uh, but you know, Darcy Tolinko, Marty Chilvers, Allison Robertson, we've we've had all of them on our show and we we've always talked about this period of leaf wetness, right? And and that really be the incubator for the disease spreading. Well, certainly from June twenty-third to August tenth, we had especially if you the you know, Western Story County, Boone County, you know, we had extended periods of leaf wetness. I mean, often often for days, um, certainly not just overnight or whatever. It felt like the recipe for this explosion of tar spot that that didn't really seem to materialize, at least from my observations, probably until the third week of August or maybe even the first week of September. It seemed like the natural senescence of plants and then it just kind of boom, it went everywhere. So my question for you, do you have a a key takeaway or is it just kind of a big question mark with tar spot because it, it didn't it didn't feel like it reacted like if we had a script for it it didn't feel like it reacted according to the script. Oh, I'm for sure going to take the easy answer uh, of like there's a big question mark here. That's, yeah, um, that's where no, I would go I, too. <laughs> I, I mean, I I I think there is a ton that we don't know. I I think. Uh, you know, I'm relying on the scientists just as well as you are, yep. right? And I've had those conversations with like Damon Smith about the Tar Spotter app and and what it's telling us about the weather conditions and what our risk is. And actually, remarkably for like Boone County, the risk throughout I think the entire month of July, you know, it was telling us that it was a pretty low risk. Interesting. And so I don't understand the weather behind it or like how it knew that it was pretty low risk, but apparently that was pretty good. And, and so I think he's going to have some good information that he's going to present on our a crops TV episode this winter for Ooh, nice. us actually, nice. and talk about um, what other considerations uh, people might want to take into account aside from maybe just the tar spotter app. Um, what else is going on in the environment, uh, the susceptibility of your corn hybrids, things like that. And, yeah. And I think there is something for us to to glean from that. But something that I'm thinking about for next year is being prepared, right? I, I mean, I think we've sort of 
I personally have kind of rested on my laurels and been like, oh, well, I'm in central Iowa. It's eastern. It's an <laughs> mm-hmm. eastern Iowa problem. This has not yeah. been that bad. And now all of a sudden this year, it was a lot worse than I thought it was going to be. And it was still yeah. field specific um, or area specific. But it's something that that I don't want to be caught off guard by. Yeah, again. absolutely. Be prepared. So, yeah. so just for the sake of it, and we're taking up way more of your time than we intended. What does be prepared mean? Succinctly, what does be prepared mean? Well, so in an era of it seems like there's a fungicide issue every single year yeah. in the pipeline, right? I I would like to have something prepared if I, especially if I've got susceptible hybrids. Um, for tar spot or any other big foliar disease issue, having those uh, ready for next year. Now, that doesn't mean I have to use them, right? Like if, yeah. if tar spot's not an issue, if I don't have a big disease problem, I don't have to use it. But I want to be prepared, uh, especially if I've got some of those. Um, at this point, it seems like we know a lot more about these hybrids uh, than maybe we did in the past. And so we're getting a much better idea as to uh, those susceptible hybrids. And so... Yeah, that's good um, advice. I want to be ready. Yeah. To, to, to build on what you kind of talked about earlier, um, you know, you thought you saw a little bit more of a weed control issue in corn. You know, thinking back two to three, maybe four years, I, re- I remember starting to see, you know, femesophen was kind of the go-to foliar for soy, and, and that worked. And I feel like three to four years ago, I started to see it fail. This year, I feel like group 27s in corn in, in general, were, you know, I'm starting to see it fail. Where was your, you know, what what were you seeing in the countryside in terms of, you know, maybe some modes of action that we typically haven't seen problems with? I mean, I know we we identified dicamba resistance in two counties. Um, what what was your experience with just weed control and maybe some modes of action that were either better or worse than what you thought they'd be? Yeah, I think uh, we're gathering better uh, data, right? So um, uh, Ryan Hamburg, a grad student at Iowa State, just published a paper uh, where he screened. Um, somewhere between 100 and 200 water hemp populations that were collected wow, in 2019. That sounds horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is horrible. Believe me. Um, <laughs> awful. Thank you, Ryan. Man. Uh, yeah. so, so he screened all these populations at a 1x rate of 240 dicamba and um, glufosinate, right? And, and plants survived the 1x rate of those products. Now, we are now applying higher rates of 240, slightly higher, right? We've added in another half pint or so yep. of the product. And then we're we're applying a little bit higher, I think three ounces higher rate of glufosinate since those studies were originally completed, the rates have increased. But that's one of those signs that the products aren't working as well, right? Yeah. We all remember when it was like 18 ounces of glyphosate would do you. Yeah. And then it was It's not like overnight ounces, it went and from... And then it's yeah. 32 ounces, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> we are losing control with a lot of products, but definitely HPPDs and corn this year was a big issue. Now, yeah. I don't think it's all resistance, right? I, I wouldn't broad brush everything and say, well, all these plants are resistance, but we know there is resistance out there. Yep. Um, I know personally from some of the conversations I've had that people are using the nozzles that they were given for dicamba application over the top in soybean, and they're using it to apply HBPVs in corn, <laughs> which is just an awful idea, yeah. right? Like, let's read the labels. Let's let's spend 500 bucks on some new nozzles this winter if that's what we need to do to get better control. Let's up our carrier volumes from you know, 10 gallons per acre to 15 if the label calls for it, yeah. which it does in many cases. Yeah. 
and and let's try to get better control overall. Um, but certainly, we need to be monitoring this whole situation because the resistance is it's coming at us like a freight train right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. It really, it really does become a. I mean, it really at this point is a collective stewardship issue, right? It's 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 less about our convenience and more about the challenge that we need to prolong these things, and and hopefully give the science community and the and the the R and D community time to. Yeah, hopefully help us figure out what's coming stuff. next because it, it really is. I mean, every time we go to any training for for chemistry, they're talking about water usage and nozzles. I mean, we've almost quit talking about the product and talking about correct application. So it's a, a really good call out. Yeah. Um, well, as we finish up your you know your summary and key takeaways, you know we've kind of talked about planting, you know emergence, all that weed control mid season with post. Um, what was your, you know, what were you seeing as we wrap up and, and you know, get into harvest? You know, I, I think overall, obviously, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure a term we all heard a bunch of yields were better than expected. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what were you seeing above and beyond just yields, you know, stock quality issues, you know, soybeans laying flat? What, what were you seeing out there? Uh, yeah, I think uh, better than expected was definitely the rave review, at least across the corn yields. And depending on the person, the soybean yields as well. But in my area, for the most part, my conversations uh, were around kind of average soybean yields and better than expected hmm. corn yields for sure. Um, those two warm spells that we had there, one at the end of August and one in early September, uh, I think that really kind of sent our corn downhill from a standability perspective. And that seems to kind of jive with what uh, Sean said, that the it seemed like the tar spot really blew up then too, right? We were kind of losing uh, uh, foliar capacity to photosynthesize, and then we were losing standability because the crop was robbing what it needed to from the, the stock instead, and it just kind of sent the standability down. Um, but I didn't hear too much about uh, crop harvest issues as a result of that. I think people did a really good job of managing it. We had good weather to get stuff harvested in a timely manner. Probably the biggest thing at harvest I heard uh, were two things. Well, before harvest, a lot of northern corn rootworm beetles everywhere. Oh yeah, but Jeez. nobody nobody seemed to yeah. know where they came from. Right, yeah. that's always <laughs> we, the case. We've all it's seen like, the beetles, yeah. but but nobody's dug the roots to check. Yeah, and then the other big thing at harvest itself was like really dry corn with mold, and then coupled with the dryness, a lot of fires in my area anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not I've, a good deal. Yeah, that's that's makes it pretty challenging. We had we had a number of situations I heard about in central Iowa. So yeah, that's. The first, the first time I got scolded by Andrew was a corn rootworm <laughs> call where I didn't have a beetle count from the previous year. So I got, I got in trouble for not having naughty, naughty. So, Yeah. Yeah. I got <laughs> yes, rep, well, reprim I, reprimanded in the middle of a cornfield. So I, uh, it's a good, good call out. I, I, I had countless conversations of, well, there are beetles everywhere. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay, well, what do the roots look like? Oh, I don't know. I didn't check that. Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> I can't tell you where the beetles came from. The beetles are everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I've never had corn rootworm yet. The populations are exploding this year. All of a sudden, my corn's laying over, and yet I've never had corn rootworm in my field. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Megan, uh, if you would, we I know we got to let you go. Uh one or two things as we're doing crop planning for 2024 that you would you would have your uh, our listeners pay close attention to. You you mentioned tar spot. Uh, have a plan for tar spot. Anything else? 
Yeah, I think anything that we can prepare for based off issues that we've seen in prior years or things that we know will carry over from prior years. We didn't get to talk about fertility, but I've noticed more and more sulfur deficiency and potassium deficiency, especially in these dry conditions that we've had. And those are things that we can prepare for, right? We, if, if we saw it last year in our crop, uh, we are probably going to have an issue the following year. And if we can take care of those fertility issues, that's going to save us a lot of trouble and probably provide us yield uh, for the coming growing season. And then getting ahead of those weeds as much as we can, right? There's not much we can do right now from a weed management perspective, but we can prepare, we can buy nozzles, we can do maintenance, we can plan for next year. And I think those are important things we got to do. Oh, excellent advice. Yeah, Megan, thank you for your time today. Uh, Appreciate uh, the work that you and your team do and appreciate you willing to take some time to spend with us and our listeners. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Wayne, as we get started, I guess just tell our guests uh, where you're located, uh, what's your role, and and maybe just a brief overview of uh, what you spend your time doing. Well, uh, yeah, and I'm Wayne Flannery. I'm a, a field specialist in agronomy in Northwest Missouri, and uh, I cover eight counties and then a few other counties while we have some uh, vacancies. So I cover <laughs> about eleven counties right now. So I work from the Iowa line down to Kansas City, and so of course we've got the productive land along the Missouri River, and you know a couple counties east of that as we swing down along the river. So um, my focus is corn, soybeans, and that's what Northwest Missouri is, but then I get into some pastures too, but uh, uh, primarily corn and beans. I work up the Grace Chapel Education Center along Interstate 29. That's a demonstration farm with extension. Nice. Well, as we, you know, lead into this discussion, or I should say continue this discussion on key takeaways in, uh, you know, from the 2023 growing season, what was, what was the, uh, you know, what was mother nature, uh, like in, in Missouri in 2023 and how to impact crop production? Well, you probably heard about all the dry, dry conditions in Missouri, uh, and you had some of those in Iowa too. Oh Yeah. But uh, it it was quite a, you know, started out, the season was really, uh, the crops went in really well and everything. But as we started out, we were were quite dry, and then it just continued. We didn't have the rain events in northwest Missouri for quite a while. It would be spotty. And, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I always thought that, you know, when it rained here, it rained across the county. But, you know, that's not the... That's not the way it is. You, you learn quick, and, especially the last few years. It's like it may rain here, and then a mile away, you're getting nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so in general, when we talk about drought and everything, the the severe drought was east of Kansas City over towards Boonville, Columbia, and it was extremely dry throughout the whole season. Um, as far as Northwest Missouri, uh, we did uh, get you know some rains. And they were timely rains, even though the drought monitor indicated it was very dry and everything. Uh, it is amazing the technology of our corn mm. hybrids and our soybean varieties, how they withstood and came through this. Yep. Even though it was a moderate drought, there was just surprisingly these few rain events that uh, helped us move all the way through this. Yeah. If 
we went over in northeast Missouri, uh, you know, we have the Mexico Putnam soils over there and they have a clay pan. And so they're a little more drought, droughty. And so yields were heard over there, especially in July. They had a extreme drought over that way. Yeah. But again, uh, just thankful for our technology. Yeah. Yeah, we, we see that as well. I mean, I, I think that's probably one of the, the most common discussion points that we've had the last three years of we, as, as we've experienced those dry conditions, you know, the, the, the technology advancements along with, you know, the breeding advancements in both corn and soy are, are I mean, man, that's, that's pretty much saving the crop the last three years, I feel like. Yeah, I was talking to a grower recently and he was talking about a small section of his farm and how frustrated he was with it. And, and again, in a, in some soil types that just are, are not forgiving for the type of weather we had and got all done with the conversation and said, okay, so if you took the average of just those farms and compared that to the historical average of your entire farming operation, where would it be? Well, it would have been like my third best year. (laughs) It's like, I mean, (laughs) just the, 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 the rapid pace that, that these crops are becoming more and more resilient. And the other thing is I'm convinced my childhood was a lie because I don't think we need rain to make corn. Like there's some country artists that, uh, that took some, uh, liberty in, in, uh, in their songwriting, but, um, you know, it's interesting Wayne, because we've, we've had a couple of these, conversations already and, and similar, you know, similar cadence from, from other parts of the country, I guess, um, as you think about the year besides the weather, um, what, what, what out, what else stood out to you? Um, maybe insects, disease, other pressure that you saw that, that was notable from 2023? Well, of course, in 2022, we had tar spot move in, in Holt County, which is one of my main counties. And, uh, again, with the university, I'm tasked with uh, watching weekly uh, certain soybean fields and corn fields. And so I scout those weekly. And then, of course, I was watching it this year and kept thinking it was coming on. And yeah. so in Holt County, it immediately came into sweet corn patch next to the field corn. So that was a heads up. And then uh, uh, it continued there. And again, the focus on that by most of the dealers and also uh, the seed corn agronomists, uh, that, that was a big focus, this, this tar spot, getting people to understand what, what concerns they should have about it trying to get people to go out in the field and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> so scout outside of their truck going yeah, 55 mile an hour. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, you can't see this by driving by it. And uh, if you can, it's so too it's, late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, a few of those fields that were maybe a little bit too late uh, yeah. that we ran into. So, yeah, uh, the tar spot is really got everybody's attention, you know, uh, and so we're, it's got my attention, you know, trying to figure out what to, you know, how to advise growers and, you know, with all the university people focused on that, that's very important. Yes. So I, I don't mean to put you on the spot and so ballpark if, if you don't know the exact dates, but I, but I think in Iowa, I want to say Story County, it was painted on like what, like June 16th? Boy, I, I can't it was it was yeah. shockingly early. I mean, so they you know they lit up the map and said you know confirmed tar spot, and it, and it felt way earlier than than I had anticipated, which of course raised 
you know, raised our hackles. We're like, oh man, it's, it's here now, you know, and that, that just heightens that sense of awareness. And certainly we weren't thinking it was something we would have to be paying that much attention to. When did, when did you first maybe make those observations and then, and then, um, did it at any point start to spread to where it became kind of a, Hey, we've got to react and react pretty quickly. Well, it, uh, the field, the Sentinel field that I look at in whole County was end of June and, uh, you know, just the last part of June. And again, that field was across from a soybean field. Uh, I mean, last year the corn field was opposite. They flipped back and forth. Sure. And so I watched both corn and soybean fields and, so it started uh, with the residue on the lower leaves, you know, and not not the very lowest leaves, but up, you know, below the ear leaf yep. uh, at that point in time. So, again, that, that got my attention. Uh, you know, again, that was pretty early. I didn't expect it to be that like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you notice anything else? You know, here, here in Iowa, we, we had some new situations uh, for example, you know, we had extended diapause pop up a little bit more common than, than what we previously had dealt with. Um, we had the deck to stem bore. Uh, we have soybean gall midge. Has, has Missouri dealt with anything new, whether it's insect disease, anything that, that they just maybe has, hasn't been overly common in, in the past? Well, we've been kind of fortunate. Uh, we're kind of on a border, and I've, I've been doing this for long time and so uh, over the years it just seems like we're kind of blessed in northwest missouri we keep everything a little bit farther north again <laughs> soybean gall midge will be occasionally show up uh, in some of our counties but uh, really doesn't ever amount to anything uh, you know we don't have the corn rootworm problems that you all do uh, sometimes we have some extended diapause when people just keep planting corn after corn or after corn, you know, yep. but and then the corn falls down and they say, well, what's going on? Cause they haven't had any experience. Yeah. Sure. Know, uh, some of the younger farmers. And so, uh, we're really pretty blessed, uh, with that, uh, primarily our, our problems, maybe our old problems, but SDS kind of, uh, oh, yeah. raised its head on, uh, uh, soybeans this year and it it was kind of strange uh we had some you know late july early august beans that just lost leaves and i remember going out to on the missouri river bottom on the uh, uh where the old riverbed used to run yep and you could see the outline of those beans being uh, attacked by sds and right outside of that they look really good oh. <laughs> and it was interesting to see how that moisture uh, affected uh, those beans and everything. But but I guess what I saw was that we had SDS at one time hit very hard, but then through other fields, it didn't even come on. And you could see it in the canopy in late August. And it didn't manifest itself like we would typically see it. And uh, I thought that, well, maybe backing up, you know, maybe some of those weather events in early spring affected how that would uh, showed itself in the later season. Yeah, sure. Um, kind of our, our hope for our main takeaway is both what did we learn, but as, as you think about giving growers advice, thinking about the 2024 crop with um, 
all of your your historical knowledge, but I guess really kind of your key takeaways from 2023. What are what are maybe a few uh, pieces of advice you're giving growers to think about as they plan their 2024 crop? Well, I think that they need to learn as much about tar spot as possible. Learn the science. And learn as much as you can this winter. Don't panic, but use the science. Make sure you get out and look at your fields and mark plants. You know, instead of just looking at a field, take some flags and mark plants so you can see the progression. You really need to to watch the individual plants. And and so you really got a reference as you you move forward so you can see what the progress is and how fast the disease may be moving. Yeah. Uh, think about the weather, you know, think about uh, the moisture conditions, especially leaf wetness and and think about that. But we've got to get people out to really watch and uh, know what they're uh, they're facing and have a good knowledge base whenever they call their dealer in to uh, make some type of application. Yeah. Well, Wayne, that, that's that's wonderful advice. You know, of all the years and uh, times I've talked about tar spot, you know, I, I monitor progression, but I've never once thought of recommending or marketing doing marketing plant. a plant so that yeah. you can have accurate, you know, knowledge on how quick that plant or that disease moves up the plant or how quick it develops and infects. So that's, that's yeah, good an- advice. Another thing you said that I really appreciate is, is the concept of don't panic. I, I think the industry is really good at, at scaring people, right? Like, oh my God, this thing is coming. We've got to be ready for it. And, and that's real. I mean, it, there's, there's, potentially significant consequences, but I really try and be an advocate for, we have the tools to, you know, to, to mitigate the effects of the disease, but we have to know when and how to deploy those tools. And so I, I, I love your, um, I love your advice of, you know, be aware of what's happening in your own fields, uh, consume the science. So, you know, what you're looking for it. it, We only need to, I don't think we need to be afraid of it. I think we need to be aware of it. Understand. And and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's. I, I remember, you know, you think back to Goss's wilt, right? And what a what a terrible time in agriculture because we didn't have a tool. So it's kind of like, yeah, I don't even know Absolutely. if I want to go scout for this because there's nothing yeah. I can do when I find <laughs> it. Right? It's like, yeah, like you know, I mean. So it's it's great to have a tool. What what uh, what else, Wayne? Tar spot's a great one. What what else? Well, um, as far as soybeans, you know, again, uh, <laughs> I had uh, like three producers call me up and. And again, they had their yields at 50% of normal. And these are new people that are getting into having SDS problems. Mm. And so, you know, the advice of the resistant variety and use of seed treatments is very important. Yeah. And so, again, uh, you know, in Northwest Missouri, we've got a lot of differences there just because of the productivity of the land. And so you'll see more people conservative. Whereas some people are very aggressive in yep. their in their crop production programs. Yep. In the meantime, you so. got you got to let us here in, in Iowa know know what you're doing in terms of some invisible wall <laughs> that keeps all these insects and pathogens yeah. from from yeah. moving down into Missouri. <laughs> I feel like I don't know what <laughs> what it is, but uh, we've sure been blessed. I know that we've been tasked with looking for like western corn, uh, western. Uh, what was it? Um, the uh, insect that feeds on uh, ears corn. Uh, uh, West, Western bean cutworm. Season. 
Yes. Yep. Thank you for helping me yeah, on that. Yep. And uh, we were tasked with that one year and I looked and I looked and I looked and we never did have that. We had traps out and everything. So we're, we're blessed. I'm, <laughs> I don't know what that wall is, but I'm glad it's there. There you go. Well, uh, Wayne, I, I really appreciate your insight. You've been an absolute pleasure to talk to. Uh, your your years of experience, I can tell you, you know your stuff, and uh, it, it was really good hearing you know some of the issues and potential fixes to some of those problems that that you've had in 2023. So I appreciate it. Oh well, thank you for having me. You bet. Yeah, thank you, Wayne. Thank you for joining us on another episode of A Penny for Your Thoughts. We love your feedback. Please email us at apennyforyourthoughts at gmail.com. That's a penny, the number four, your thoughts at gmail.com. Or reach out to Andrew and I on our social media. Thank you for tuning in.